The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. All right, um, so we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 18 this morning, um, and good morning, everybody. So if you want to if you want to follow along, there are um, Bibles uh, under each, each one of these tables on the sides here. Um, so let's read. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a unified attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. Paul stayed down in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centrea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Uh, Luke... Uh, is writing this book of Acts, what we call the Acts. Some of the times referred to the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Early Church. We talked about it when we introduced this more of how Jesus is still acting in the world. 
Um, how is Jesus as a resurrected king now still moving and breathing and acting in the power of the Spirit through the church and through people? One of the things that I kind of sense in the tone of Luke's writing style, I feel drawn to it. It's very encouraging to me. I love reading Luke's gospel. I love the attention to details. I love when you begin to understand the words, you can get into some of the idioms or the colloquialisms that are in Jewish language or in the culture of his day that then bring light. And there's a few of them in this passage that I think will help us find some deeper meaning. But one of the things that I see, I really sense in the way Luke is writing this letter to his friend and the benefit for us today is Luke saying, here, let me share this story with you. Read it. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? What are you going to do? And now how can I help? All right, I want you to hear this rhythm. He's like, read it. Like Joel just did. Read this chapter. I feel like Luke is just saying, know these stories. Hear what's happening. What's the Holy Spirit saying? Then what do you now need to do? And then, but I have a sense in Luke, he's with Paul in this. And he's saying to them, okay, I'm not just happy that you're now aware. Like, how can I help you? And I'm like, that is a beautiful picture of what discipleship should look like amongst us. Is We're not coming from it from a posture that some in our church have mastered it all. So you need to sit at their feet and learn from them. And so the rest of you remain silent. The issue is, is like, let's community and let's look at one another. And then when somebody says, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me this. Well, great, then what should you do with it? And then now how can I help you do what you've been asked to do from the Father? And so Luke, the other challenge that I realized, and I put this on a slide for us, is that Luke offers us no set pattern for the way in which people come to full membership in the Christian family. Like there's not like him sitting here saying, now there's patterns in Luke that we've talked about, right? Paul, Paul had a pattern. Where did he go first every time he went into a new place? The synagogues, there's a pattern forming. Like, as a Jew going in, he knew he'd immediately have an audience he could engage with. And then when he was in the synagogue, then he started talking to the Jews. There's a pattern. But otherwise, we're finding that Luke is allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to communicate and engage people everywhere from synagogues to riverfronts to to the pathways and everybody is given the opportunity to engage with Jesus and then to walk with Jesus and to figure out what comes next and it almost seems like okay could there just be a simple everybody goes a b c d and it doesn't seem to be that simple and that's what sometimes frustrates because one of you shares a story and you're like that's not my story and then others of us are like, um, man, this is, I'm, really, I'm really resonating with Michelle today. She's, you're, you're really responding strongly. That's good. Um, but the, there's so much of our life that is around um, us trying to say, what is God saying to me? But yet we're distracted because God said something to somebody else. And so rather than us keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, we start looking at each other. And because God is doing this in somebody's life, then why isn't he doing it in my life when God's saying, I'm speaking to you, do you hear me? Because God is not silent. He's not a silent God. That period of silence, whatever is in the Old Testament, God's 
and the, the blockades or the, the things that kept God seemingly mute are now done. And so we have access to God. So Paul, Luke here in writing about Paul's missionary journeys and Peter and all the things that were happening in Jerusalem through James and others are all being communicated, but yet we are just wanting to say, okay, Lord, how do I grow into the family? And, and here I put this also on a slide for you. But just as humans grow to mature at different paces, and some make great strides in one area while to catch up later, so it seems to be in the church. We've got to create space for this in our lives. We have got to figure out a way to let the fruits of the Spirit guide us in our relationships and our conversations with one another because we're not all moving at the same pace. We're not all understanding and believing the same things at the same time. And it doesn't mean that we're on separate paths. It just means that we're on, separate, on the same path at separate locations. And part of the eldership in the early church was they would try as best they could to keep moving people on that path and moving people to places saying, okay, now let's pause and let's rest. And so rhythms of rest and rhythms of, of taking time to be still were so important in the early church story. But yet what ends up happening is, is that because of the fast-paced life we live in the church, so much about what you and I experience has to be quick, it has to be now, and if somebody else in the church slows that process down, rather than acting in love, we get frustrated. And so we'll separate ourselves from people. And some people really do take a lot of time and energy from you. And so with that burden and with that side of the discussion, I think as church, we've settled more for friendship and acquaintance than we have tr- for true deep family love. And so it's easy for me to say, oh, you're my friend or I like them, but I don't have to get involved in the messes with them because that then slows me down. And we can't keep that individual approach to how we live out our faith. It's designed for us to be moving along together. There is a very random inclusion in this chapter that, that, that is a stumbling block in my mind, and so I have to just get it out so we can get back to the point. But verse 18 was, a, was, was very much just a random set. Paul cut his hair. Like, why is that so important? Like, George cut his hair this week, and I, the first time I, I'm like, okay, George, this is, you look different. And I'm like, where'd your hair go? Like, I haven't cut my hair in three years, and I finally cut it. And I'm like, George, you look different. Um, but yet Paul, it says here that he, ha- he finally got his hair cut. But yet he tied it, Luke, in his writing, was like he was cutting it because the commitment, the covenant that he had made was the time had come up. And I want you guys to, I, we need, in some ways it's simple to say, but it's got to become something that makes sense to us in our thinking. And I, so I don't want to just gloss over it. But some of you are hearing very clearly from God that right now I want you to do this. Knowing that it might not be a forever thing, you know for clearly, like right now, I know that my Father in heaven, it's been confirmed through friends, it's been confirmed through people that have shared what I would feel like is spiritual advice or prophetic word to me, it's been confirmed in what I'm reading, I wake up thinking about it, I go to bed thinking about it, and so if you're not doing it, you know that you're just being disobedient, right? So Paul had a vision, like there's red letters in our Bibles in this chapter, 
where Jesus had basically told him, I'm with you and nothing's going to harm you. But this is the first time that Paul camped out. He got out his working tools and went back to his craft of making tents, which was more than just building tents that... Was, this was him most likely making fabrics and materials that the military would have used in that day and time for mass productions of temporary shelters that would have gone. This was a massive industry in this day and time that Paul would have been incredibly gifted at. But yet for the first time now in Paul's story, we're now hearing that he got his tools out and was going to work. And a symbol of it all coming together. getting cut and now moving on to the next thing God has for me. Some of us need to figure out what a a hair growth time for us is. And I'm not talking about just for a fundraiser. Like we're really good at no shave Novembers for guys, right? Uh, Some of us, you know, we'll grow our hair outs for locks of love. We'll do things. I've even heard rumors of people running marathons and they got millions of dollars in sponsorships towards causes so, so that they could commit themselves to train so they could go run a marathon. So we know what it's like to covenant to something in order to raise money for an event. But we've gotten away from covenanting with God to say, I'm going to stick with something that you've clearly said to me. And we've for that. So that's all about verse 18. Now let me jump back. There's five very interesting characters that are brought into the story. And the thing that I said when I was reading this, and I asked for prayer for many of you on Thursday, and I appreciate you praying, but I felt like the Lord was saying, look, there's five in here for a reason. So why are they here? And I think that if you, today, if I could just whet your appetite towards looking into these characters, it would do us some good to see, again, that Jesus is doing unique people at different times and at different paces, and he's got room for you. He can get you through whatever pace you are on. We have our eyes fixed on him. And so in this particular chapter, we have Priscilla, Aquila, the um, uh, Titius Justus, uh, Crispus, uh, Galeo, and Apollos, all right? These are names, and I might not keep saying them because I get tongue-tied saying them, but let's start out with the couple, Priscilla and Aquila. This is a Jewish businessman that obviously was in, in woman that are in a craft that Paul was able to unroll his in with. We're going to find that this tent-making business was a big industry, But we also hear in this passage of Scripture that they once were in Rome and now they had to move out because they were pushed out of Rome. And very likely it's because of what took place in places like we've been already in the book of Acts, like in Jerusalem and Antioch and places around Thessalonia where the Jewish synagogue was in turmoil and Jewish people were arguing over whom? Jesus. And because they were arguing over Jesus, many times it became a disruption. And what does the one thing that Rome did not like? Disruption. As long as you were going with the Roman way, right? As long as you were okay, it didn't matter what gods you worshipped. They didn't care how many different gods would be assembled and around a community. But if you caused a commotion, if you impacted trade, if you impacted the flow of money, if you impacted the movement of the military in that particular environment, they took notice, and it's likely that they were pushed out because of the fact that the Jewish community in Rome um, was in turmoil and, and were sent away. So there's some history there you can go look at. I don't need to give you a ton more details on this. 
But what we do know is that Aquila and Priscilla, who here is mentioned the man first and the woman first, almost everywhere else in the book of Acts and anywhere else mentioned in the New Testament, um, Priscilla is mentioned first. And I think it's very interesting. We don't have time to go back to Ginger's teaching in September, but ladies, let me just tell you this. You do important work, and it is noted in Scripture, and it is valued in Scripture many times by being mentioned first. And here we have her mentioned second at the beginning in introduction to the family trade, but later on when we talk about Apollos, she's mentioned first. And Apollos is being taught in a place that's a little bit lacking, and I think it's really important that we draw attention to that here in just a few moments. But we'll find that Priscilla and Aquila are, are not only going to be with Paul now, they'll be with him in Ephesus, they'll be later on back to Rome, and they're mentioned in the story to the church in Corinth in chapter 16 of, the, of 1 Corinthians. They're mentioned in Romans 16. Um, to, so they're all throughout Scripture. And so here's one thing I want to draw our attention to as a response to Priscilla and Aquila, is one of the may, many lessons Acts teaches quietly is as it goes, that you tend to get the guidance that you need, not before, not too much detail. Yes. Praise the Lord. Right? I mean, most of us, we don't want to move until we've analyzed it. We don't want to do anything until we have all of the facts, all of the details and now I am inviting you into a faith journey with Jesus, and he's going to give you what you need in the moment. And if you're listening online, I just kind of swung my arm, right? Like, it's, just, it's like, yay, that's what I want. I want to know what I'm supposed to do in the moment, rather than be able to plan for it and to make preparations for it. But Priscilla and Aquila had a great business going. They got kicked out. They get sent somewhere, meet Paul. Life changed, meeting Paul. They now have a, a passionate business as well as a passionate church movement they joined into. And staying in any one place, they were just moving around. They were doing something that was unique. And, and many of us are constantly looking for guidance like we prayed about in our daily window time. We are asking, but yet we will ask in a forget to ask the whole rest of the week. And it's much like... Um, you know, driving on the interstate and not really paying attention to your GPS or your GPS does that spinny thing where it kind of loses connection for a minute and then you realize you're two exits beyond where you are and then you have to recalculate and go back. So many of us are stuck in calculating in our faith because we're not talking to the Father on a regular basis. We mute him. You know, we'll tell him, hey, could you please avoid all small groups and all church services? Right? Do you get... You guys got that subtle humor, like how you can set your GPS to avoid tolls and highways? Okay, so, all right, thank you, Stacy. There's at least one person. All the rest of you are looking at me like, that was, that was, a, that was a dumb joke, Pastor. Um, but for those of you that are stone cold in the face, it really is funny if you think about it, all right? But, but don't think about it too much longer. So Priscilla and Aquila are getting guidance when they need it. Paul is getting guidance when he needs it. Luke and his team is getting guidance as they need it, as they wait to serve in the Lord. And so then we meet um, these two other characters I'm going to talk about at the same time, the synagogue ruler, Crispus, and then um, the homeowner of Titus, 
This synagogue ruler obviously had some sort of significant role. And I love the fact that somehow in his deciding to follow Jesus and his family's desire to follow Jesus, Paul for the first time did not get stoned. All right. Can I just say this? We need people like this to be a part of family so that we can avoid some really, really hard days. Like we can have some hard days. But there are times that Jesus is expanding his church and he's bringing people into our family to kind of help serve as a shield to our back. Where does our armor of the spirit go? It's all a frontal protection. So who's supposed to have your back? We're supposed to have each other's back. We're supposed to be the ones that say, you know what? I've got my helmet on. I've got my breastplate. I've got my sword. My feet are ready. I'm ready. I've got my belt of truth, and I'm going to go back back with you so that we're so that you're good and that I'm good and that we're watching out for one another. This is the story that's taking place in the book of Acts as they go through. But this high-profile convert, who obviously was significant in his area, was serving as a, wait a minute, if he believes, if his whole family believes, then wait a minute, what's my problem? And so we're not, I'm not necessarily saying that the church is going to ride on the wings of some celebrity believer, okay? Like there are churches and environments where that is very much um, a, a, an occurrence. And it's people always coming in and looking like, okay, where is this celebrity sitting in church? And can I sit close enough so I can get a little bit of their celebrity on me, right? That's, there's, there's places that happens. I love the fact, as far as I know, there's no celebrities in here. Um, and some of you are like, oh. I can't believe he doesn't know that I'm important in my universe, right? All right. But this particular man, is, his, his life is so important that Paul mentions him in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, saying, I didn't baptize many, but I baptized Christus. And he says that at the time the church is arguing over, well, do I follow Peter? Do I follow Paulus? Do I follow Paul? Do I follow Jesus? I mean, the people are arguing, like, as if this section says I'm all for, you know, and this section says I'm all for, and then Paul's up there like, look, I know I baptized you, 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 so is it really about us, or is it really about Jesus? Because it's got to be about Jesus. And so Paul, in this particular situation, I think, is bringing a character into play because each of us has a unique story in the church. We all have a unique role to play, and it's not just to be an attender. It's to contribute. It's to participate. And so when we look at this Titus Justice character, I think it's very interesting that he's introduced as the man that lived across the street from the synagogue. It would almost be like as if we were told that we couldn't worship here anymore and one of you lived in the house behind and we decided to all go into um, a house off of Albemarle Street and start to worship. Um, but this is a colloquialism in the, in the language in which it's being written. And I believe that Luke is doing this, but we lose it in the English language. I almost view Luke as saying here, Paul was saying to the synagogue, especially after he shook off his clothes and he moves across the street to worship, this was a modern-day equivalent to saying, in your face. And, and some of us that know Paul know that he would say something like that. Like, and others of you are like, okay, I'm not getting the humor, I'm not getting the passion of this, 
But Paul was so much fixed on Jesus and so loving in the way that he was telling people. But when people were stubborn and obstinate and hindering people from knowing Jesus, he's like, you know what? You don't want to take it across the street where people can still have access and people can still hear. And, and, and that type of energy and excitement is where I think many of you are ready for. I think that we're not just wanting to sit and to be told anymore. We want to engage. We want to engage passionately. And some of us might be one step away from saying, I need to just go across the street spiritually and get into an environment where I can just let this be fanned into full flame. I don't want to just be an ember anymore where I know my faith is alive. I want it to be consuming, all-consuming in me. And so I believe through these characters we get a chance to see this. But this uh, Gallio, um, like this ruler in this particular area, is a very significant character, and not significant from the standpoint of just the decision that was made, but from people that study the Bible, this particular man being mentioned here gives the entire timeline of Paul's missionary journeys forward and backwards. So some of you are like, well, how do they know the timing and where he was here and when he was here? What I found in my studies is that this particular man was the one that, they, that almost all theologians agree was pinpointed between the year 49 and the year 51 in his leadership. It was just about a two-year period of time of leading. So if Paul was in this area for 18 months, and this was the ruler of this time, this is the first time that from a secular and theological study of the scriptures, they've been able to match up secular writings about this first century, as well as the, the biblical narrative, and say, because of this man, we know that Paul is in this, in this town somewhere between the year 49 and the year 51. So everything prior to this has obviously been happening before, and they've been able to go backwards find other dates, and then they've been able to place other dates forward. And so from those of you that love just to know facts and details about the Bible, here's a character that you can go and look at his history. You can study the, the way that he led and the way that he um, executed judgment. But it seems like that he's a wise man, doesn't it? On that, where he's like, you guys are coming to me and you're fighting inside the church, and you guys, you just need to go and just make this decision up on your own and get out of here. But did you also see the other poor decision that he made? Immediately after making an excellent decision, he let a man get beaten right in front of him. We, might, we could just read over that. And if we're not careful, what we'll do in our own day and time is because a leader that we like makes one good decision, we ignore all of the other bad decisions that they particularly make. Or we'll park on the bad one, we won't... The good ones. And here's what I put in our notes as a response to this for us today. Leaders, both political and secular, can bring good judgment, but the world still waits for the true judgment from a perfect king, which will sort everything out once and for all. I just want you guys to hear me when I say this. In light of everything that's been happening in the month of November in the United States of America, particularly alone what's happening around the rest of the world our political leaders are not perfect i don't care who you voted for in what ticket whether from lower level baltimore government to our highest levels of government there is not a man or woman in our political power that is going to make a good decision every time they make a decision we have got to reserve that for jesus christ he is the only one that is going to do the right thing every time 
And so if that is the understanding, then why can we not bring that into the church and begin to exercise grace in our conversations with each other? I had a pastor friend of mine, his name is James Robertson, pastors in Brooklyn, New York. Recently, a lot of churches avoid the conversations around racism because they're scared of conflict. And he's like, look, just because you talk about racism, you have to have racism, just conversation around racism, just make us uncomfortable. And we've got into the place as a church where you and I can have the uncomfortable conversations. And that happens in our small group. And some of those uncomfortable conversations are the Holy Spirit telling you that, that, that you need to be moving and growing in a certain area. And sometimes you have to look at somebody saying, you know, your activities are hindering you, which is hindering us, and we need to talk about it. That's a difficult conversation to have, but it shouldn't be conflict. It should just make us uncomfortable as we begin to move forward. Then Apollos is mentioned. Man, Paul loves Apollos. Apollos did so many things. I wish there was more in scriptures regarding this particular ministry, but he was obviously trained in Alexandria in what is, was one of the um, most rich and resource cities. He believed, obviously, in, in who Jesus was. But what's the key phrase that talks about the level at which his leadership stopped in regards to what he believed? There's a key phrase that's going to roll over into Acts 19, which we're going to talk about next week. John's baptism. So wait a minute. They knew about John's baptism of forgiveness, but they didn't know about Jesus's baptism. They didn't know. He wasn't aware yet of how the Holy Spirit baptized and how the Holy Spirit moved and how people were being baptized in Jesus's name and how they were moving forward. And so who was the one that's like, wait a minute, we love Apollos' teaching in the synagogues, but he's off on the baptism part. Who corrects him? Priscilla and Aquila. Wait a minute, tent makers? Wait a minute, I've been to seminary. I've been trained in Alexandria. But there was obviously a movement of the Holy Spirit that that was happening that Apollos submitted to that instruction. Can that just rest on us for a minute? Some of us are so proud in what we know. Anytime anybody offers us a different thought, we don't even for a moment say, is this true? Father, is this true? What do I need to learn? And I think that part of the reason why this early church was growing and expanding so rapidly is that everybody agreed they didn't know anything. That, that there was this sense of what's happening. What do I need to do? Where in our church environment today, we have so many streams of Christianity. We're all confused. We don't know how to get along together. It's like as if somebody went to Ikea, opened up all the boxes, mixed up all the parts, and put it all back in the box and said, now try to figure it out with no instructions. It's hard enough to figure it out with the instructions when the box hasn't been tampered with, let alone to go through aisles and start pulling pieces from all over the place together and say, now go figure it out. Because at the end of the day, we know it's furniture. We know it's the church. But yet we're so confused at how we all fit together. And part of it is the problem is we're not taking time to say, Father, what's the instructions? How do we move? How do we continue to act? And we know that Paul had a deep love for Apollos. We know that Paul stressed his ministry. Paul validated what he was doing. And Apollos is mentioned here, I believe, because when, when Paul shows up in Acts 19, next week we're going to find out that Paul finds 12 people that knew about John's baptism. So who had already been there? Apollos. 
And so now, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, well, some water, some plant seeds, some bring the harvest. And so there were places that Paul had gone and he had laid the seeds and others came behind and watered. But this particular city, Apollos, had come through and sowed seeds and now Paul was watering. And so it's not about who is doing the activity. It's about the Father having his will done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I can't go around as the pastor of this church saying, it is my job to sow the seeds. Because some of you might be sowing seeds, and I'm like, you know what? I just need to come behind you. I need to water this. But I need to sow seeds here. I need to do some pruning over here. But we have to have a sensitivity to what the Lord is doing. And so I believe here, let me, let me close with this. Obviously, Apollos is laying a, fa- a framework that we're going to be seeing continue on through the book of Acts. But here's the closing thought of this chapter. I put it on a slide for us. But what matters is that we are open. I'm open for business. I'm like open. This is who I am. This is where I am. This is what I'm thinking and I'm ready to receive now. I'm not shutting information out. I'm not shutting the voice of God out. I'm not shutting the voice of his church out and the people around me. I am open. What is God wanting to say to me? I'm open, ready to learn, even from unlikely sources. Your parents, you can learn from your children. Children, you can learn from your parents. Right? We can learn from a neighbor. We can learn that's not even a Christian. We can learn from people that are Christians. We can learn from both a Democrat and a Republican and Independent at the same time, right? And even all the other parties that are not represented, right? There's just so much that we can learn. We have got to be open. And we need to be prepared for whatever, whatever God has to reveal to us through the Scriptures, through the apostolic teaching, and the ongoing and always unpredictable common life of the believing family. And that's titled this chapter, this teaching in that particular way, the always unpredictable common life of the believing family. And all of the words are chosen specifically for a reason. Can we just say thank you for the fact that it's not easy? Some of you work in industries where it is your job to predict patterns for your company. It is your job to predict patterns in sales, to predict patterns in consumer interest, to predict patterns in social media connectivity. It is your job. But let me just tell you this in your faith. There's not many patterns. There is one thing that those of us that believe in Jesus should always be doing in regards to communication, and that is to be prayerful. If we can learn to be prayerful on Sundays, prayerful on Mondays and Tuesdays, then we can then begin to know what the next step is. So every day you open up your box like, okay, Lord, this is my day. The first instruction on the box is to what? Pray. Because that's where you're going to get step two. You're going to get step three. You're going to get step four. Because there's not one box for every day. There's an unpredictable common life to the early church, and you and I have got to be okay with that and need to be willing to say, but we want the power of God to move fresh in us. So I'm going to start with one, and that is Father in heaven. 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, it is... It is your will and your way that we want to be fully engaged in. And Father, I know that many of my brothers and sisters are going through different things. Different things that confuse one, don't necessarily confuse another. And Father, we are asking for you to be present because in you there's no confusion. Father, we need to have a we perspective on your church. Father, would you mature us in that way? Father, we need to be loving and patient and compassionate, like-minded, sympathetic, humble. And Lord, let there be character traits that's common in all of us, but yet we would be patient with one another, realizing that we're at different steps on the same path. So, Father, would you continue to show us how to care for one another? Give us healthy perspectives on how to love and show love to each other. Because, Father, we want you to do the miraculous here in Baltimore. We are tired of leading the nation in homicides and in drug use and in the lack of education and in in statistics around poverty. Father, just all of the ways that we're always talked about globally, Father, we just want to say, in Jesus' name, would you renew? Would you restore? Would you take us from the, the top of all the wrong categories and put us in the top of all the right categories? Because, Father, we know you can use your church to change the world. So, Father, we want you to do that work here in Baltimore as it is in heaven. And so, Father, right now, I just say, would your spirit show us what sins we need to confess? Father, what do we need to confess? Would you illuminate that right now in us and give us the courage to make those confessions? And, Father, as we come to the table, Father, I just want to... Remind my brothers and sisters, Father, by the letter of the words, all who are worthy, Father, there's not a one of us in here that is worthy of coming to the table. We are all sinners. But, Father, it's because of Jesus Christ that we can remember. It's because of Jesus Christ that we even have the opportunity to come to the table and take the broken bread, to take the, the, the cup that's in front of us and remember the body broken and remember the blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, which makes us worthy to even be at the table. And so, Father, would we not just treasure that up in our hearts, Lord, but would we let that just spill over into other people? Father, we want to be a contagious church. We want people to believe in Christ as a direct result of our faith in Jesus as well. So, Father, would you help us this week, this season, to be a mouthpiece of good news to other people? And, Lord, would you help this table to, remember, to remind us that we need to be speaking the love of Christ as we go today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.